You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Donnelly from Agape Moms. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about digital safety with our kids. I think I realized during the quarantine just how much I use technology as kind of a babysitter for my kids. And that wasn't even just during the quarantine. That's like, I need a nap. Like, have your screen time. I need a break. And I know many of you can relate to that. Today, I have Sarah Siegand from Parents Who Fight joining us. Sarah and her husband, Jesse, have a ministry that's devoted completely to online safety and giving tips and tools when it comes to things like social media access and giving your kids a smartphone and even all the way down to how our kids can be preyed upon, whether it's by cyber bullies or other sexual predators and that kind of thing and how to protect our kids. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I've known Sarah and Jesse for a few years and the tips and tricks that they've given me have been very helpful in understanding just what our kids are exposed to and how we can protect them. As we get started today, I'd like to make sure that I mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is such a tremendous resource when it comes to being able to get Christian counseling on your own time and your own schedule. And if you go right now to getfaithful.com slash single mom, you'll actually get 10% off of your first month. So check out Faithful Counseling. So to tell you a little bit more about Sarah and Jesse and their organization. Uh, Parents Who Fight is a community organization that's based in Nashville that works to help parents protect kids online. They focus on practical solutions and training workshops to give parents the confidence in understanding and navigating technology and our digitally saturated culture. Parents Who Fight is led by Jesse and Sarah Siegand, married for over 22 years and parents to two teenage boys. So you know that they are living this in and out just like we are. So with that, I hope you'll enjoy my interview with Sarah Siegand. Sarah, I'm so excited that you could join me today. This is a topic that I struggle with actually a lot. And I know I've gotten a lot of awesome guidance from you and Parents Who Fight and Jesse, just the ministry all together. And I'm, I'm just really excited for this conversation. Well, thank you for having us, having me, and just being part of, you know, bringing the the conversation to all the single moms out there who need support. The thing I love about Parents Who Fight is that you specifically are aware of the challenges specifically that single moms are dealing with when it comes to not just digital safety, but parenting in general. And so I'd like to know if you could just kind of give everybody a little background on Parents Who Fight and you know, kind of the angle that you come from when it comes to having our kids be safe online. Sure. So Parents Who Fight really is a community-based organization. We do parent education workshops in churches and schools. And it started because we realized when our kids were pretty young that um, the kids at their elementary school uh, were watching pornography, whether on accident had been exposed or were seeking it out. We didn't know, but there were lots of indicators that there was a big problem. And so we jumped in to see what we could provide to the school as far as support and just being maybe a little bit more tech savvy than some parents. We knew we had some practical things that would help all parents know what they could do, what was within their responsibility and within their power to do to help 
make their kids' digital experiences safer. So I think it was just the realization of that risk that was out there and the stories that started coming to us. We knew we had to do something about it, and we just started really asking the Lord, what do you want this to look like? And the doors opened like crazy beyond our beliefs. So that was an indicator that we not only were onto something, but that this was something the Lord was truly calling us to and asking us to serve our community with. Well, I think that's the point. Like for me is the things that I absolutely feel are out of my control or the things that I'm not even aware of. I have three kids. So we I'm, I'm dealing with a preteen, an elementary age, and a toddler, which we all know toddlers are better at screen time sometimes than we are, right? <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to know if you could talk about some of those stories that you hear. What are some of the top issues? You know, when it comes to things like social media and screen time and, you know, giving your kids a smartphone, internet browsing, all that kind of stuff, what are some of the, the top things that most parents are not even aware are going on? Well, I think parents don't realize how easy it is to access internet dangers. Most of us who are, you know, parenting kids who are online grew up very slowly being introduced to the internet. So we didn't even have remotely the same experience as our kids. I mean, I started using social media when I was like, I don't know, 33. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, you know, it wasn't the same place that it is now. And as more and more of the world has climbed onto what we call user-generated content platforms, so, you know, now our kids aren't looking to the three major networks and the movie theater down the street like we were, you know, they have unlimited access to everyone's videos that they've ever shot. Mm -hmm. And, And it's just it's so much more than parents are used to having to um, get their arms around. So that's a big factor. But also the um, nefarious use of the internet for introducing kids and really actually pursuing kids with dangers like pornography, like suicidal content, mm-hmm. cyberbullying, even you know what's going on in our current culture with um, you know, hate speech and and racially um, charged content, all of that is out there and is one click away from our kids. So as parents, we just have to really dive in a lot sooner than maybe we feel ready. Maybe parents think, oh, when my kids are teenagers, I'll definitely make sure that they don't, you know, use that platform or, you know, we talk about sex and whatever. This is, you know, preschool, elementary, middle school. You are laying that foundation very, very early. So as a general rule, I've I've thought of the phrase too much too soon, and that's for kids. They have too much access too soon, you know, social media way, way too soon, smartphones way, way too soon. And then for parents, it's really too little too late, which as a believer, I don't think it's ever too late. It's just that sometimes parents are not doing enough for way too long. Mm-hmm. And by the time it gets bad, they have to jump in midstream and start erecting structure and boundaries. And that doesn't always go so well with the kids. So it becomes a battle. And we would just encourage parents to realize how 
early intervention is going to be incredibly helpful for building a foundation and really training their kids how to use technology well. Now, I went to one of your workshops a few months back, and you told a story about Instagram. I love that word nefarious you used, by the way, but can you give that, can you tell that story about how seemingly innocent, you know, creating something like a social media account can start out as and then very quickly get out of control? Sure. So that particular story was one of a friend of mine who had a 13-year-old son, and um, this friend is super on board with all of the boundaries and really exercising wise use of internet. And so she was already, you know, preaching the no social media before you're 13. A lot of parents don't realize that's actually a term of agreement for every social media company. There is an actual law that says they are not allowed to open accounts for children under the age of 13 without their parents' express written consent. And so this mom was living that rule, and her 13-year-old son um, really wanted to, you know, follow some athletes and just kind of peek into the Instagram world. So she opened an account on her phone and did not include anything in the kid's profile picture or any indicators that this child would be a a vulnerable 13-year-old boy, followed only a handful of verified accounts of athletes and people who are of upstanding character. But as soon as that parent launched that account, the tsunami of direct messages with spam pornography um, started to come. And that situation is duplicated 10 times over if it's a girl account and there is any indicator that it's a girl. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage every parent out there to type into their Google search field, Bark Undercover Video. Bark is a great organization that did an incredible nine minute, I think, video about how a teenage girl launching an Instagram account within a minute and a half was being contacted by predators. So parents don't realize how intense the the warfare is when your kids put one toe in the water of some of these spaces. So what, you know, we tell parents is not even so much as do you realize if your kid is ready for, you know, social media, this like, is your kid, kid ready for war? Because that's the kind of environment you're placing them in. And um, for our, us, you know, we have a 16-year-old boy and a 13-year-old boy. Social media is has not happened yet. We firmly hold on to definitely not before high school in our family. But we have a kid who's a sophomore in high school, and it's not happened yet. And part of that is because he actually knows how much uh, there is available that is destructive to him on there. And he knows he's not ready. And we know he's just not ready yet. I love the way that you approach this too, that there does come a time where these things can be integrated safely with parental oversight, that it's not a, I'm going to keep it away from you so, because we all know that, I mean, you can, you're, lim- you're limited, <laughs> you know, your child will eventually go away from your home and they will be exposed to these things. And so there is a careful integration of these things mm-hmm. and that the child then can understand 
the risks and the benefits and that sort of thing to the point where they're actually making their own choices about these kinds of things. And I think that's really the heart of the matter is not just putting our kids in a bubble when it comes to these things, but realizing there are times and ways that we can start to walk with them in how they integrate these things in our lives. Certainly adults struggle with these same things Mm -hmm. too. From what you all have seen in your ministry, how do you see that kids of single mothers specifically are even maybe more vulnerable in some of these cases? Well, it's interesting having been raised by a single mom myself, I can, you know, hearken back to some of the same challenges that were present um, in my life. But of course, that was long before the digital age. So obviously, you know, the digital age brings a completely unique dynamic and mountain to every parent, Mm -hmm. whether you have an ally in your home who's an adult or not. But for single parents, you know, not having that backup is really challenging because there are times where this issue, and like I said, it can it can be feel like a battle with our kids. It can bring you to the brink as a parent of just wanting to be like, fine, whatever, just, you know, go watch YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so that every parent experiences that. But now you take a parent who is shouldering way more and oftentimes, you know, working while their kids are having to be um, entertained or whatever. I have a friend who is parenting alone right now, and she works from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. at her home, which is a blessing. She does not have to pay for someone to watch her children. However, you know, she can't be engaged during those work hours like she would want to be. And she wrestles with, you know, am I kids, you know, having too much screen time? And I just, I applaud her because she really sought out some wisdom of like, what structures can I put in place that I can actually uphold that aren't too much expectation on myself? And, and she's working towards that. But You know, every parent uses screens as an electronic babysitter at some point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, we can't be so consumed in guilt that we never break that cycle, but we also can't be so consumed with fatigue that we don't do what we can to break that cycle. Also, the co-parenting issue, which I know you really want to talk about, Mm -hmm. I see that as a huge factor of, you know, really not having the two adults on the same page is what I see more often than not. And it's logistically challenging, even if they are on the same page. So logistically, usually with almost any solution you use, there's going to be one administrator over technology boundaries on parental controls. And if you aren't, you know, co-parenting in the ideal situation, which most people aren't, then, you know, one person has to be the administrator. Well, who is that going to be? And then, of course, there's just the whole thing of your child going to another environment on a regular basis that you have zero control over. And, you know, one thing I would encourage every single mom to do if they haven't already is to really engage their kids about the topic of uh, pornography. And statistically, if you see how much pornography has impacted the divorce rate, you know that more than half of the homes that our kids are going back and forth uh, to 
in a divorce situation have been impacted by pornography. So one practical way you could engage them about that would be an incredible resource called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And it's a read aloud story to really help you train your kids for what to do when they see pornography. So that's something practical a single mom could do to really help to mitigate that risk and, you know, sow the seeds of the internal filter into your kid's heart because that filter goes with your kid wherever they go. Even if the screen time filters don't go everywhere they go, your kid's heart does. So sowing some of those intentional training things into your kid's life will be so, so valuable as a single mom. I know that I am guilty of using Nanny Siri probably a little more often than I really care to, but I love that your approach is not to feel shame about it, to realize that we do have limitations Every parent does it, whether you're a single mom or not. You and I have talked offline about this, but the, the approach is more to do the best that you can and to start somewhere. And so the first follow-up I want to ask you about is in relation to your friend who is, you know, working at home but has these restrictions and you know, limitations, I guess, and has to use that screen time maybe a little more than she wants to. What sort of strategies is she using, for example, to help create a sense of balance there? whether they're actual tools and, and limits or whether they are discussions she's had with her own kids? Well, one very practical one that she started using a couple of years ago is a um, technology piece, a technology solution called Circle. And that's something that I think is worth every home trying. Some people are like, oh, I don't like how it you know, messes with my technology. I think by and large, most people especially on just that consumer level. We're not talking about people who are running, you know, companies out of their home per se, but Circle is a great technology solution that helps that mom decide what kinds of platforms my kids can have access to. Can they have access to Netflix? It, it gives you the opportunity to really customize these, uh, the access that your kids would have. So what do you want them to have access to or not? What kinds of time limits do you want them to have? And the way Circle works is you basically, it, it plugs into the wall, it finds your Wi-Fi signal, and it allows you to connect everything in your home that's connected to your Wi-Fi signal to your handheld mobile app, your device, so that you can set parameters. So, And it has a feature that actually can go with mobile devices um, called Circle Go. And so I know she uses that with her, her oldest child who has a mobile phone. And so that is a very practical thing because really you need some automated tools at your disposal as a single mom because setting the kitchen timer is not going to be an effective way for you to limit screen time when you're doing everything else on your own. Not to mention, like, it's like constantly like, mom, can you put in the password? Mom, can I watch this? Mom, can I, mom, and it, like that to me, like that just reduces the stress so much to have that automated. Yes. And I mean, we've used Circle in our home for four years because we had a Chromebook coming home from the school that we were like, uh, we don't like the security on the Chromebook. It's not, doesn't have great parental controls, especially back then. And I can't say it's improved much. 
And so we knew that was the way we were going to keep our kid on task with his schoolwork um, so that he wasn't watching cat videos and Minecraft videos and all of that. So those automated tools are super, super helpful. And honestly, I love helping parents and moms so much. If you have any question about like, hey, here's my individual setup and you just want some coaching, just email me or message me on Facebook. Um, my email address is parentswhofight at gmail.com. And I'm happy to make a recommendation based on your the ages you're parenting and what your setup is because you cannot do it all on your own. So you need some automated tools. There's a lot of stuff that's free that's available. I mean, every device has parental controls nowadays. So you need to use those. Even Netflix has improved their parental control um, situation over the past few months where your kids can't toggle back and forth between the adult profile and the kid profile. So put that in place. If you need someone to hold your hand, I'll be happy to help you. But you can't do it alone. And so you really need to find uh, what is at your disposal to help you with some of that structure. That's one of the things I love about Parents Who Fight is that you guys have done all the research and all the guesswork already. So you can just step in there and tell people like me what to do. <laughs> and I need that. I need that. The other thing that I wanted to follow up on that you touched on that is a huge issue I know with a lot of women who are listening is pornography and the exposure for our kids. I have used good pictures, bad pictures with all of my kids and especially with my son. I know that with young boys, it is something that they're exposed to very early on and that without the proper context, just curiosity itself can kind of take over and create an issue that perhaps the child doesn't even really know what's happening and he's engaging in this content. Can you talk a little bit more about that specifically as far as boys' exposure and how being proactive can help them? Because I think, as you may have said this before, it's not a matter of if they're going to come across it. It's sort of a matter of when. Yeah, and actually with the ubiquity of pornography on the internet and the way that the industry is really pursuing our kids, which is a whole nother podcast, but they are, and our kids are being targeted. I would encourage every parent, whether you have a boy or a girl, to start way, way younger than you feel comfortable. Because the reality is, if they have access to the internet, it is only a matter of time. And the average age of exposure right now is about eight years old in our country. So if your kid is on a computer looking up stuff for school, you need to know if that if you haven't done what you can to close the doors on that computer, your kid can very easily find pornography. Quick story, a young girl, 11 years old, using Google to research a school project about dogs and types in the words fat dogs. And what comes up is nothing but male genitalia in their search results. However, if Google Safe Search is locked, which is easy, it's just google.com slash preferences, check the box. That one checkbox will actually return actual chubby dogs to the search results. So that's how easy it can be to stumble into a world that your kids are just not prepared for. So talking 
very, very early before there's shame attached. You know, once kids get into the puberty years, it's like, oh my gosh, mom, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. So my kids, I mean, they knew the word pornography by eight, nine years old. And when you are when you are the one introducing that word and that that concept, it's on your terms. And it's so awesome. I feel like I'm just like uh, landing a punch on the enemy when I introduce my kids mm-hmm. to something that I know he wants to use against them. I have to make them ready for this war. Now, that can be done in an age-appropriate way, which that's why we love good pictures, bad pictures. And if you're parenting kids who are maybe beyond that kind of perfect age for that book, which is like seven to 13 ish, you know, maybe you're parenting a 15 year old and you're like, man, we did not talk about this enough. And it's now a problem. I would utilize the website, fight the new drug for awareness for yourself and for your teen, because it's a very cool, very student driven market. And so they really pay attention to explaining it in a cool way and making it cool to reject pornography. So that would be the awareness piece that I would look for. And then when it comes to resources to really intervene with a kid or a teenager who is already finding themselves habitually going down that road, I would look to ministries like Covenant Eyes and Pure Desire Ministries. They have so many resources available to help you as a parent help your kids. So the the key is early, 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 and then constantly engaging your kids about it. Like I said, building that filter in their heart goes with them wherever they go, and that's the goal. I love what you're saying, too, about early and often. And I think that's the thing that's interesting with my children. I realize that just because we read it once doesn't mean it's stuck with them. And so we find ourselves kind of on a six-month to one-year basis of having these conversations over and over and over again. But it's because they're they're looking at these things now from a different lens as they get older and they need more information. And so what age-appropriate information I can give to a seven-year-old is not the same as what I can give to a nine-year-old. And what the conversations they're having on the playground are are different now. And that as long as it's an ongoing conversation, all that kind of shame and weirdness and awkwardness about these sort of really touchy topics goes away. And I think one of the pieces of parenting information that I got really early on that helped me was realizing if you don't bring these things up, then you are allowing some kid on the playground to tell your kid what these things are, and you probably don't want that. So yeah. it's good to to take on maybe some of those things that might be challenging and realizing though that you get to set the story, you get to tell them how being engaged with certain things is either a benefit or a harm to them. And one of the things I like about some of the resources that you referenced is that they actually talk about these things as an addiction, as a drug, because there are chemical components Mm -hmm. in the brain that respond to this kind of stuff. And even like I've been reading recently, even like screen time and dopamine in the brain and how we're giving kids like a hit every Mm -hmm. time that they're engaging in too much screen time. So it's not that we're just like, oh, I'm going to limit all your screen time because uh, you need to go outside and play. You know, it's having them understand you're actually chemically altered when you're spending too much time on the screen or when you see pornography and that kind of stuff. And I want your brain to be healthy, just Mm -hmm. like your body to be healthy. Yeah. And just the mental health aspect, it permeates into like every area of their digital lives. So another key I would give to parents, not necessarily pornography specific, but 
you know, we look at the, the kinds of things our kids are allowed to do on devices as um, like a dose and, and what can they handle and what can they expend easily. So like an hour of video games is really the standard in our home. You will get an hour and a half, maybe once, maybe twice a week. Um, and you don't get video games every day. And and that is because of the cortisol that's building up in their brains. And they really need to be outside to expend that kind of stress hormone. So, um, you know, as, as parents, it's challenging. As single parents, it feels like this is so much work to actually, you know, put some, erect some of this scaffolding. But eventually it will pay off because your kids are actually all these boundaries like in the book boundaries it talks about the purpose of boundaries is for your kids to have external limitations that over time they internalize as wisdom and so that means moms you have to have boundaries on your screen time too you have to be aware of how that dopamine is affecting you and how the endless scroll, because life is just a little bit overwhelming right now, is impacting you and is impacting your kids because they're watching. So for all of us, myself included, this is a constant gut check of where is my time and attention being spent? Where is my mental health because of what I'm consuming? And what do I need to adjust? What is the Lord calling me to? Because your time and your attention is one pie and you get the same amount of time every day as a person, but as a single mom, you have a lot of demands. So you have less time to spend wherever you want. And so in that way, man, let's be really intentional about knowing what is bringing us life and what is bringing us death. Well, and I think you have a really awesome perspective when it comes to managing screen time is not just, okay, we're going to put a timer on you, but the overall balance of life. And I often find myself having to have kind of this forced, I guess, selfishness where it's like, I really do have to balance what's going on in my own life and my own brain and those sorts of things so that I am more available for my kids and so that I am better for them. And you have a great strategy about this when it comes to playtime and the fact that we're not just balancing how much screen time they get, but we also are balancing our engagement with them in actively parenting and being involved with them. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think just being a mom of two very energetic boys and a husband who traveled for a number of years, I had to determine how I was going to stay engaged when I just didn't feel like it because I was kind of carrying everything else. I, you know, work, I thankfully now I'm able to work at home, but when these strategies came into play, I was working outside the home. I was getting up, you know, at early 30 every day and helping to get lunches and everybody out the door and to all their activities. So some simple things that, you know, my kids, I read an amazing book called Never Say No by Mark and Jan Foreman. And really it's about saying yes to relationship with your kids because they reach an age where they stop asking you to play with them. And I was really convicted about that because I knew I was in the years where they were asking to play and I was really tired. 
And sometimes I just want them to watch a movie. And, and there are times for that. That's not, you know, something that we need to be guilty about. There are times where they need a little mental break. You need to cook dinner, whatever. But my kids were asking me to play outside, and they both are very active. And so sometimes instead of playing basketball with them out in the driveway, it was like, you know what? I'm going to sit on the step, and I'm going to time you and see how many baskets you can make in an hour because then I get a little bit of physical rest, but I'm still present. I can still give you the attaboy when you make it. I can cheer you on, and their kids my kids just remember me being there and being able to engage in that way. So I think it's really, as you know, moms in general, we have to be super creative to know what, what can I handle right now that would bless my kid. And sometimes it's like financially, you know, what I can't take my kids on all expense you know, vacation to Disney or whatever. But you know what? I We can go to the park. We can go to the park and we can have a picnic. I mean, it's the same food we're going to eat at home, but somehow the blanket makes everything magical. <laughs> so, you know, finding those things and leaning into your community and other people who have similar parenting challenges to know what are you doing that is filling your kid's love tank without completely draining you of all of the energy that you have. I find too that the more that I engage with my kids in that way and can find those, I guess, shortcuts, you know, to making it where I might not have all the energy, but I'm at least showing up in some way that it dissipates the guilt that I feel over not being able to be what I would want to be for them. Mm -hmm. And it does actually help with a lot of these issues of boundaries and rules and guidelines and stuff like that, because there's just a rapport and a love that's built between us in these kind of things that they understand that I'm for them and that I'm not doing these things to be, you know, a bully or, you know, punish them or whatever, just have all these rules. Actually, now that I said bully though, one thing I also want to ask you to touch on is cyberbullying and portals, you know, where our kids are now taking school drama home. You know, it's not anymore that you just got picked on at school and on the bus and then you get home and at least that's your safe place. Kids are able to take the bullying actually home with them. And so could you just talk a little bit about that and some things that we should be aware of? Sure. I think one of the biggest contributing factors to cyberbullying situations is what I touched on earlier of too much access too soon. Kids having smartphones and having all of this unboundaried access to one another and to social media platforms, you know, in fourth, fifth grade, it's really not helpful. If you ask any school counselor of those middle grades what they are up against, they will say social media. And even though these kids are not actually supposed to be on social media, they're all lying about their age to get on social media. So social media is a big factor, but you don't even have to have social media to just be harassed digitally by people you go to school with. One of the things I would encourage every uh, parent who is in a unique custody or um, situation where they need access to their kid legitimately, like you, your kid might need to have a phone so you can reach them because you are coordinating a lot of logistics as a single parent. 
there's a great, great tool that's pretty new on the market called a Gab wireless phone. And right now, I think it's like 50 bucks. They do these regular specials. It's purely a talk and text phone. It doesn't have any apps. There's no internet. You can't search for anything. And that's what we've used with our 13-year-old to be able to coordinate, hey, what time is drama practice over? Did you remember to turn in the thing to the office, et cetera? But not give him unfettered access to all of the classmates who may or may not have his best interest in mind. You can give them a communication device. That's different. When you give them a smartphone, you are giving away your influence into their life. And so just knowing what you can do to keep your kid a kid a little bit longer and mitigate that access. And then if your kid, I mean, there are kids who are cyberbullied who don't even have phones because somebody took a picture and posted it online and the kid who doesn't have a smartphone is relentlessly teased and it trickles into school. That does happen, but that is not what is the usual scenario of kids just saying mean things to one another via text message or social media. So I would encourage every parent to wait on the smartphone until it is truly necessary and to seek out other alternatives you might have to be able to provide safety and security so you know your kid is where they're supposed to be, but to also not connect them with a bunch of people that may or may not have their best interests in mind. I love what you just said about you can give them a communication device, but it doesn't have to be a smartphone. And I know I feel overwhelmed with my smartphone, and I have to sometimes put it like in a drawer and not look at it for two hours because I'm overwhelmed. And I think beyond cyberbullying, there's also just this overwhelm of too much contact, too much information, and mm-hmm. it's distracting, It's it causes stress and that kind of thing. And that there are ways that we can still be in touch with our kids if we do have to be kind of tethered to them when they're at another house mm-hmm. or that sort of thing, but that it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to give them full access to... Right. The universe or that we can allow the universe to fully access our kids, which I think is probably one of the, the big fears that, you know, accompanies this kind of thing. And I would encourage, you know, single moms out there who have a sisterhood, as I know you do, Michelle, mm-hmm. which is awesome. You know, people who are in this lane, who are you are doing life with, who have some of the same challenges I would encourage you to support one another on some of these sticking points because I know for us, even though our kids aren't being raised in a single-parent home, they are being raised in close community with people who have our values. And so for them, I mean, yeah, their friends at school had smartphones, but none of their friends who were their age at church had them. And that made the biggest difference because they didn't feel like outcasts. They could see, oh, all these families that we love and respect who are walking in wisdom in their life are doing the same thing. So even though I don't like it, there's got to be something there. And they have accepted it and embraced it as difficult as it might seem at times. And they have said, mom, I can see how this has kept me from so much drama. That's really good. I think that community aspect helps to normalize when we are trying to raise our kids differently than Mm -hmm. the way the rest of the world would say, go ahead, raise your kids, do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. That having those like-minded influences just helps 
to keep everything on the level so that we just, I, I, it just, I know that I'm the one voice of discipline that my kids hear a majority of the time. Mm -hmm. And I even get sick of hearing me. So (laughs) they need those other voices in the community who are echoing those same things. Mm -hmm. And it just helps them to realize that there is a choice in this kind of thing. And it's, it's really for their own good. Mm -hmm. It's for their own health, whether it's mental health or spiritual health, those, you know, just all those kind of facets. So before we wrap up here, Sarah, this, there's been so many good and encouraging things in this conversation. Can you give us maybe one more thing before we go that you think that every single mom should know? Well, I, I say this often, but I think it resounds especially to the single parent is the most effective tool against digital danger is the engaged parent. An engaged parent is better than any app and is better than any kind of outsourcing you might do to erect boundaries around your kid. When you are attuned to their heart and you can see into the heart issues of what's happening, you will have so much more wisdom and ability to speak into what's needed to lay a good foundation and training for their digital life. And the amount of wisdom that is available to you in Christ is unmeasurable. So if you know that, then all you need to know is what wisdom in Christ does this kid need for this situation? And that cannot be outsourced. It is by engaging with your kids and attuning yourself to their hearts so that you can really discern what they need. And every kid is going to be different. Every family is going to be different. But by the grace of God, you have been put in that place to love and protect and nurture your child. And you are the best solution that there is to keep them on this road to life. So don't lose heart. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged by how much it feels like there's just this constant demand. Know that God's power is made perfect in your weakness, and he will give you all of the grace you need to be completely sufficient in everything that you face for your child. Gosh, that last little bit at the end just really actually got me kind of emotional. I know when it comes to things like this, parenting in general, I just really feel overwhelmed. And when I hear encouragement like that, it means the world to me. So I just hope that that was encouraging to you too. Sarah and Jesse are doing so much through Parents Who Fight to help equip parents like us who are kind of overwhelmed and trying to do this all on our own. You can find out more about them and the tools that they have and get some help by going to www.parentswhofight.com. Parents Who Fight is actually offering a giveaway that you can receive a free copy of Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. That's the book that Sarah and I talked about. To enter the giveaway, all you need to do is go to either Instagram or Facebook, find Agape Moms. So whether that's Instagram.com slash Agape Moms or Facebook.com slash Agape Moms and follow the instructions on the episode 23 giveaway post. Before we go, I'd like to share with you about a new free resource that is available at agapemoms.com. It's called The Seven Loneliness Traps. If you are feeling lonely and isolated, which I know a lot of us already are, and then quarantine kind of made the whole thing worse, but if you're looking for ways out 
and to figure out how to just move forward in your life, then this is a resource that will really benefit you. If you go to agapemoms.com, you can download it for free. It goes over what are the seven basic loneliness traps that we fall into and how to get out of them. As always, I enjoy your feedback. Any questions or comments that you might have are so helpful and so welcomed. You can go to agapemoms.com and fill out the contact form. You'll reach me directly and I'm happy to address any questions that you might have. I'm just so thankful that you could join us today. So I look forward to having you join me next time.